When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we head west once again and speak to Travis Warren of the Upchucker Podcast. Welcome back to the show for episode number 105. Presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription today. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance so when that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. 
strong, focused, ready for anything, that is a Yukonuba dog. And by CZ USA Shotguns, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. And speaking of that, there is still time to design your ideal Upland Bird gun. Head over to ProjectUpland.com, look for the partnership article between CZ USA and Project Upland, and take your shotgun design survey today. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime, one-piece rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to Dakota283.com and use the promo code PU20 to save 20% from Dakota283. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Caleb P. Caleb sent us some great feedback. He sent us a number of guest suggestions, and for that, we thank him. Project Up and T-shirt or a digital version of the Woodcock Shooting audiobook will be on its way to Caleb very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can do that by leaving us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. We appreciate it. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, other than the CZ USA and Project Upland crowdsourced shotgun survey, that's about all I've got for you this week. But it is also 4th of July week. I hope maybe some of you are listening to this at the lake, at the barbecue, with the family, and the bird dogs, of course. Have a great week, everybody, and be safe with those fireworks. I hope you have a great, great, great 4th of July. All right, let's jump into today's episode with a former guest of the Project Upland podcast, Travis Warren. It's been nearly two years since he was on the podcast. Travis and I caught up. We talked a little bit about the Uptrucker podcast. We caught up with Travis about his recent bird hunting season, his plans looking forward to the upcoming season, a new bird dog on his string, and a whole bunch more. I hope you enjoy this one. Let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Project Upland podcast of the Uptrucker podcast, Travis Warren. Travis Warren, welcome back to the Project Up and Podcast. How are you on this Friday morning, man? I was a little early. No, I'm joking. <laughs> hey, you picked the time, I think. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because it makes me feel more empathetic to my guests when I tell them, hey, let's get up early and do this. It's great. It'll get it out of the way. So, no. you can Nobody can see it, but I made a really awesome sign for Nick and because uh, I was quite creative. I already had a cup of coffee in this morning, so I thought I'd make Nick something to smile. It's a pretty endearing sign. I don't I don't even know if describing it would do it justice, but it's uh I've got Travis on the video call here and yeah, it's I, I woke up to a real pleasant surprise this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you know how my wife feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not gonna believe well, you might believe it, but <clears throat> what I spent the about the previous hour before I hopped on here with you doing was listening to our podcast that we did essentially two years ago today it was june june 3rd 2018 i went back and i got about 55 minutes into it i didn't finish the whole thing but do you do you go back and listen to previous episodes of yours often yeah i I think we're all our own worst critics right so (laughs) yeah you know i was talking to somebody actually at work um and it's funny because I don't ever talk about sort of the podcast or writing. I don't, I sort of my, it's, it's my hobby. It's my escape. It's my creative outlet. Sure. Um, 
and somebody was we got in the conversation and it came up and so yesterday he said oh i listened to it and i i it had it came in chronological order and I listened to the first one. He's like, I couldn't even really hear it. He goes, and then I jumped to the, the most recent one. He goes, that's really good. And I yeah. said, yeah, it's, I said, you know, you keep that first one on there just for, to keep you grounded, right? To make you remember where you came from yep. and, and kind of where you've, you know, where you've made it to in two years and just realize like how much you want to continue to get better and, and yeah. just the possibility if you just keep working at it and, uh, yeah, you know, I, I listened to like that first episode, which I think had such great content, but you couldn't hear it. It was so, <laughs> the audio was horrible. I just feel so bad. You just want to go back and do a do over. Was but. your first episode, did you interview your father in law? Was that one of your first episodes? No, that was the second episode. Okay, the first okay. one I did was with the Chucker Chasers. Okay. And what, was know, it Damon and Alec at that time? Yeah, it was Damon okay. and Alec. Cool. And we did it in Damon's old house, which was like a 1950s, um, wood, like, like real hardwood floors. So the worst acoustic you could find. It was this (laughs) reverb, horrible, you know, microphones were just, I think they actually shared the microphone of one of the headsets because I didn't realize Alec was going to be there. Uh, it was just, it was, uh, it's it's slightly shambolic. And, uh, you know, you kind of go like, oh, at the time, you're like, well, all right, I achieved it. And then just listening to myself, you know, you just sound so nervous yeah. and, and robotic. And then you realize, you know, the power of editing and you, yeah. know, you just get more comfortable interviewing and talking and you kind of kind of have your formula down. Yeah, it's wild, man. I, I don't I don't do it a lot. This was, you know, that was the farthest back I've gone to listen to an episode in a while. And I did it, but that's where I was, I was going to kind of say some of those same things. Like, I mean, number one, yeah, it is a great reminder of like, you can get better at this. Cause I'm, a, I'm afraid to go back and listen to episode number one. I mean, it's, it's me and AJ, like I, everyone, you know, like pretty often I'll get a message from somebody that's saying like, yeah, I'm loving the podcast. I went back and started from episode one and I just cringe. I'm like, man, could you just like hang with us until episode <laughs> like 30 or something like, or skip ahead, please. <laughs> yeah. But, go in reverse chronological order, please. Yeah. I don't want yeah. that to be your, I, you know, and I, I don't know if you think about this, but I all, I often wonder because my, my, I would probably find a podcast and listen to it from the first episode yeah so almost like you know watching a series or something like that you watch from the beginning and you go and and i just i wonder how many people have come across my my podcast and listened to the first one and go this is garbage i'm just ducked out yeah (laughs) never came back and you're like oh give me another chance go to the last one that i just did yeah it would be foolish to think that that didn't happen but yeah i'm i'm the same way in that i think it's getting less so in the past, I would love to, you know, listen to one. Ideally, you listen to one all the way through because you kind of learn and grow with the host. And I think getting to know the host and like their characteristics and personalities is a big part of the podcast. And you kind of know like what their angle is. But now we just kind of have this, you know, since two years ago when we were talking, I mean, like the podcast space has blown up just at a, in a greater sense, you know, but now we've got this like embarrassment of riches. I mean, I can't listen to them all. You know, I went back yeah. this since you and I talked, was it Monday that we talked? I think it was. Yeah, it was. I don't, yeah, we talked Monday. I went back, like I was working out in the yard and I listened to four or five Uptucker episodes. I mean, I haven't listened to every single one of your episodes and it's just, but 
It's great stuff, man. I was gonna I was gonna give you some props because yeah, you've like it sounds really good. Like the interviews that I was listening to, I listened to um your Ovi Wing shooting. Mm-hmm. Um what's his name again? Oh Maddie. Yeah, Maddie Maddie Rollins. Rollins. Yep. Sorry, was, I have to say the full name. So nobody yeah, knows. Well, yeah, me too. There was there was one other one that I listened to, I can't remember, but again, getting better every every week that's that's the plan and when you look at it over that long time horizon it really because you don't feel the improvements on a weekly basis but on a yearly basis you sure can yeah absolutely and you know and the same thing goes for you like i i you know of course there's some great ones like your keith coyle episode oh my gosh it's like i i think if you if you're like measuring just solid content like what if i'm going to listen to an episode of any upland podcast out there and which one would I listen to and which one would I recommend that somebody listen to across the board? It would be the Keith Coyle that you did. It's fantastic. Like I listened to that and I was just, I learned something new and I was actually talking with Matt Harding, our, our mutual friend. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's interesting going back and listening to that over the years because I understand concepts better. Yes. Yep. As I do this more, or as I get kind of deeper into really understanding like shotgunning and, and, and really trying to, to work on concepts, um, it, it, a lot more of it makes sense. Like yep. I it just, it's amazing. And you, I actually, we were at, we went and shot clays on Saturday and using some of those things that he's talked about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the simple things that I think is just fantastic is the idea of just practicing mounting your shotgun yeah. at home, you know, and those, those, it creates muscle memory and you get that consistent mount of that shotgun and, you know, not to go too far off topic, but that is probably one of the best episodes. I, I think bar none that's out there on the, on the interwebs or the, the, the podcast <laughs> webs out there, yeah. you know, because it's just, it's timeless information, you know, and you think about it, like, you know, Keith is obviously getting up there in age. So that's, that's just, that's so much knowledge right. that is, it's just captured in that one person. And, you know, I don't know what his legacy is with other people and who he's training, but that's just so much information just trapped in that brain. And it's just, it's so valuable and, and it means different things as you, as you get older too. And as you get more deeper into shotgunning or just the mechanics of it, or as you try and dissect your own uh, technique, you know, you sort of go, ah, that makes sense. Now yeah. it didn't make sense a year ago when I listened to the episode, but it makes total sense now. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's part of learning. And you could say that about books and podcasts, anything, any kind of reference material, really like you're in a, and that was one thing that I was thinking about with the podcast too. Like when you go back and listen to one, like I was in a certain frame of mind at that time and like, I'm still the same person today, but I'm two years different, you know? So like I have different thoughts and stuff floating around in my head today. And it's just interesting how you pick up on that, but you read a book or listen to a podcast the first time, some stuff could just, you know, could go right over the top of your head just based on where you're at. But then fast forward two years of continuing to pursue the education and information and trying to learn more and you go back and hit on something like that. And all these like dots get connected, you know, you, your brain, like you think you might forget some of this stuff, but it's there. You just need the right references and the materials yeah. to pull it out. And then you kind of make sense of it. Now I couldn't have planned this any better. You're not going to believe this. Uh, later today, two o'clock central time, I'm interviewing Keith Coyle again. 
I'm jealous, actually. <laughs> I mean, I really am. I just think that guy is just fantastic. He is just like he's the guy. I yeah, mean, he's a treat. And he does it. And I think this is the important thing about that interview you did with him and him as an individual is that he's incredibly good at explaining, con, con, you know, con, uh, difficult or, or complex, sorry, complex concepts, you know, over the phone. You know, it's one thing like being face to face with somebody and actually them showing you and it's very kinesthetic and it's learning and you're learning. But to have somebody who can convey that sort of information over, you know, a, a virtual interview, um, that actually benefits people is, it's fantastic. I just, it just shows how, how just good he is as a, as not only a shotgunner, but as a, just as a teacher. Yeah. He's got the heart and mind of a teacher for sure. And he's, yeah, I, I got to meet him after the interview. I met him at Pheasant Fest in Chicago a couple of years ago and he's just, like every time you look over, he's got some crowd of people like captivated, oh, yeah. you know, and he's talking about, he's talking about instinctive wing shooting, but he's got, he has a, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. He has a, a virtual course that he's put out. Now, one of his, I believe it was one of his students had some skills in the video editing and putting together like one of these online courses. So he went and, spent a few days with Keith and they put together this like three courses. Actually, one of them is intro to wing shooting. The other's intro to clay shooting. And he's got some other stuff and they're going to continue, but they did a great job. Like I, I went through the course, reviewed it all. And that's what I'm going to be talking to Keith about. So listeners will get a chance to hear a lot more about it. But uh, now it's taking what, taking what you've said, you know, he's talking about it, but he's also showing you and they use like, they use different action cameras and high quality cameras to show all this stuff. And it's, it's taking Keith's knowledge and making it available to people uh, remotely, you know, at a distance. So it's, it's pretty cool. And we're going to talk all about it later today. Well, heck I'm excited about that. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, I'll listen to it. Yeah. Well, and Keith, Keith is a great guy. And I think like you said, his, his teachings and his knowledge is something that should be spread. So if you uh, if you ever needed to get in touch with him or anything, it's not that hard to get a hold of him. But I would encourage you to go go connect with him and interview him on the Upchucker podcast because again, that that wing shooting knowledge that's important to most people that are upland hunters. They yeah. tend to want to be a decent wing shot <laughs> or at least <laughs> well, get better. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because I think it's one of the things that we, I mean, Keith says it, but I see it in myself. It's one thing that you just to realize that you you don't spend enough time doing. Yep. You know, you think at the end of the season, you just put that shotgun up and you're like, I got to get my dog steady or I got to get my dog good at retrieving or whatever the case is. And then you start thinking, well, well, hell, my dog is doing great, but the, the weakest link is always me. And then you go, oh, gosh, I got to go to the damn sport and clay range. And you start trying to figure out times to go. And 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 it's not a matter of just going and just, you know, throwing some some shells in the tube and just going and shooting. But it's it's really making a concerted approach to actually trying to understand your technique, how you shoot, what you're shooting for and understanding your firearm that you're using, whatever shotgun you're using. And then trying to actually maybe correct some things that are probably leading to, uh, you know, missed shots. And, and that's one of the things that I've been really working on is, is consistent shotgun mount and, 
and doing a better job of understanding like how to look down, how to actually look down at that target, how to, how to really pick it up and, and be a lot more accurate and consistent. Cause that was, that's probably my biggest thing is, I mean, the way that the birds fly here for Chucker, it's, they're, you know, a lot of crossing shots, a lot of away shots, but there's, they're low and they're very, and sometimes they're very close. And so it's, it's all about timing and understanding, you know, the, some of those aspects of your, your really chucker hunting. One of the funny things is that you're never, you're never, you never have a decent foot. Like you never have a decent footing. You're, you yeah, know, when you're you talk not at about, a plays range there. No, no. <laughs> so, you know, understanding like how your, the strap of your vest could, could, Im, you know, impact your, your shotgun mount. So all the, all those sort of things, you know, and really just, I think it's very important too to practice how you play. Right. So <laughs> my two year old is standing here with a, he's got a plastic bag full of shotgun shell. Nice. Hey, there you go. <laughs> came to yeah. <laughs> Hang on one second. <laughs> You're fine. So there's a – this will just be a little tease for my upcoming interview with Keith, and uh, I'll have to make sure I put put this episode out first. But as you're talking there about trying to understand some of the mistakes that you're making, and you know that's the one weird thing about clays, and I know I talked to, to about this with Keith. If you're shooting clays, if you miss, you may have some inclination, depending on how experienced you are, but if you miss a clay – you might have no clue like where you're missing that bird because there's zero feedback unless you hit it or chip it or dust it. You have zero feedback. So you don't know if you miss by 10 feet or 10 inches, you know, and that's the tough thing. And so Keith has a, he has a lesson where he talks about the three R's, the ability to self analyze. And you basically kind of work backwards from the result. Did you hit it or you miss it? the reason why did we miss and then he goes into tips and how to figure out why you missed it and then the remedy how do we correct it you know simple stuff it's broken down like that but that's the kind of stuff he's bringing to the table with his course and it's uh it's pretty fun i got to tell you i went to the shot uh i went to the sporting clays course yesterday shot and uh i've been messing around with the shot cam who uh, if you're not familiar, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Folk, I, yeah. I'm familiar with it. I've never yeah. used one, but I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So a little camera that goes on the barrel of your shotgun and it's, uh, we did an episode way back. I interviewed Emily from shot cam and, um, finally have one and I've been experimenting with that. That's pretty cool. It's, it's, um, it's certainly like there was one station yesterday where I missed every clay, you know, it was four clays, missed them all. And those are the ones where usually you walk away and you're just like, they ruin it. They ruin your day. You just feel totally defeated. Like I have no idea where I am, what I did. And so I went, I went home, I plugged the shot cam into the computer and I pulled, I watched all the videos, but it, they make it real easy like that. You just kind of burn right through and you can kind of see what's going on. You can't always see, I mean, the background, the background depends like the course that I'm shooting is real wooded. So sometimes it's tricky or whatever, but for the most part, and on that station I'm talking about, it was so obvious I was, I was giving the clay so much credit and way out in front of it to the left. It was, it was, it was a rising, like an arcing teal, basically. So it came up and apex and basically you could have just, I could have just shot right at it, right at the top and probably dusted it. But I was giving it so much credit because it, it looked like it would had so much more movement to it. And I was left and, and as the shots went on, 
four four times I shot, I got further and further to the left because I remember thinking, I'm like, am I behind this thing or what? And so that is one where if I went out and shot that station today, I'd like to think I could hit at least one of them. But getting that information and feedback is it's pretty tough, and you just don't get that really. Like if you miss a bird or you miss a clay, it's hard to know. It's interesting that you're missing out in front because that's really never the, that's very rarely the case. You know, they always encourage you, like instructors will always encourage you, try to miss in front, right? And maybe that's why I kept getting further and further. Yeah. And I find, so some, my biggest issue I find is that I stop my swing. Yes. And, um, and so that's a, that's a big concept for me to continue through the swing. And to make sure that I'm just, you know, to make sure that I'm, I'm picking it up with my eyes and then bringing the shotgun into the arc of that, you know, of that clay and, and watching it and, and picking it up and then, uh, and then not stopping my swing after I pull the trigger. And so it's interesting how you, I don't know, you know, you just pick up weird, just pick up weird stuff, you know, and you just don't realize it until you realize it. You're like, my gosh, what it? I'm an idiot, you know, and I've actually been watching, I mean, Keith Coyle is obviously, just the man but on youtube i found this guy named gil ash and i don't know it's like nationals uh anyways his name's gil ash you just i think him. i've heard his name maybe i've maybe he may have he's been a funny that. guy i just think he's i i think he's incredible just how he interacts with the camera you know like he's actually interacting with you and just how he says things but it's really actually very very helpful um and, and i've watched a lot of his videos and those have also helped as well because i'd imagine keith's thing is going to be very similar uh to what what gill is doing and yeah. and that's you know really just showing you giving you that visual understanding of you know how you pick up those targets but it's a great visual it's a great free tool to learn uh, a little bit more how to shoot and everybody sort of has, you can tell every, you know, everybody has a little bit of a different technique, but uh, his principles are really good. And those have been incredibly helpful as well. You know, the concept of like, you know, depending on which way the clay is coming, you know, you pick it up, you know, if it's going right to left, you know, cause I'm left-handed. So left eye dominant. And when I'm looking across, you know, you, so you look across, you're looking across your barrel. And as you look across your barrel, you keep your barrel, you know, in front. And, and then, you know, the same thing is if it's coming left to right, you know, for me, I'm looking, I'm looking down, you know, sort of down the side of the barrel. Yeah. You're kind of that, giving your barrel a head start essentially. Yeah. So you're just keeping your eye on it. And then that barrel is, is going to be, you know, sort of right on the tip of that clay you know, as you move it. And that was just such a simple concept. And then I started really applying that on Saturday and I was, it was consistent. I was like, holy crap, like that's such a little small tweak of just an idea, just a concept of how to understand the path of your shotgun and the path of those clays. Um, and it, it obviously it very much applies to, it very much applies to, 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 bir- to hunting birds and just watching the flight to the bird path. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's my biggest thing is just trying to make sure like that I spend a concerted amount of time throughout the off seasons getting, you know, improving my technique and, and making sure that, you know, I am, I'm not being too arrogant to think that I can't get better because Lord knows that's not the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because I do spend a lot of time out there. So what what fun is it if you're already, you know, you're missing all the time, right? I mean, it's sort yeah. of crazy to think that you would waste your time. Yeah, that was definitely the mentality that I had when I was interviewing Keith. That was kind of like the start of my. I was I wanted to be a better wing shot. I mean, it was that was like a goal of mine, and so I 
I interviewed Keith, and since then I've interviewed guys like Andy Duffy and David Radulovich, like professional shooters, and and I've done a lot of additional reading, watching videos, like you said. I've gone last season, last summer, I went to the Sporting Clays course more than I ever have before. I was practice moaning my shotgun a lot in the basement, and I'm a better shooter today than I was, you know, when I interviewed Keith whenever that was a couple of years ago. So, yeah, you definitely can improve, and and I'm I was probably in that like lacking any sort of formal training or education i was in that point where you're going to make real quick gains right yeah. so now now i'm probably getting closer to where it's i'm at the sporting clays course and my scores are kind of they are what they are like i don't know that i'll ever be a, a quote-unquote great shot at the sporting clays range but i saw improvements in the field last year and that's to me that's what matters so as long as you're not missing on camera buddy that's you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, well that happens too though the illusion <laughs> <laughs> I know I was watching the public grouse film. I'm like, Nick, Nick, don't miss. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, there, I, there is, there's one scene in there that it's kind of, it's funny because, so I've been out hunting in North Dakota twice now and you're, you're, you were talking about, um, stopping your barrel. Right. And I think, I think that was a huge thing for me kind of cutting my teeth in the grouse woods. I think it, turns a lot of people into snap shooters, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you're kind of snapping your gun to a window and just pulling the trigger and you're not doing, I guess, I don't think you get a lot of experience swinging and stuff. Like Uh, when you make an, when you make a, when you have the opportunity and you make, I guess I'm speaking from my experience here. When I make a swinging, like sweeping shot on a grouse and see that thing fall in the woods. Like it's a, it's an exciting feeling. You're like, wow, you know, but I have plenty more shots where it's just boom, barrels, barrels hit a window and shoot, you know, and you shoot birds like that, especially if they're going away from you or something. But, um, yeah, but there's a scene in public grouse where, so, so I, I lost my train of thought there, but going out to North Dakota, like the shooting is easier out there. I mean, it just is compared to shooting in the rough grouse woods because you can maintain, you can usually maintain a hundred percent visual lock on the target. You have total freedom of movement. You know, there's nothing grabbing you, pulling your shoulders and stuff. The footing is generally pretty good, unlike where you're at. So the shooting, the actual process of shooting in North Dakota, from what I found is quite a bit easier. And Usually like what, like what Tyler Webster will tell you, the rough grouse hunters come out and they shoot way too fast. Cause mm. you know, you have all the time in the world, these sharp tails, they can get going, but it takes them a little bit. But anyways, there's that scene in public grouse where there's like two or three birds in the air, at least two. I mean, it's the perfect opportunity to have like shot a double. And I missed, I missed the first bird that I shot at. And then I shot again at that bird and I just like barely barely nicked him and he comes down you can barely even tell in the scene and that was the first bird i shot at the whole trip so i i guess i'm making an excuse for myself but like i watched that back and i'm like gosh man you could have just could have nope, i didn't <laughs> i honestly i didn't even notice um you know but it's that it's that it's that build-up it's like don't miss on camera right, right you know yeah, slow motion dramatic <laughs> music <laughs> well but it's true and i think that that really emphasizes western style of hunt you know western hunting is that you do your the vistas that you have and the ability oh gosh, to watch yeah. the bird and to really be able to pick it up and and get a better judge of uh of its speed its distance and how it's flying um so that you can pick it up uh, and I, you know, I've never been to, I've never hunted grouse in the grouse woods. Uh, the only rough grouse I've ever run across is when I hunted, uh, in Idaho. And that was just sort of like a bycatch, you know, um, 
and, and I missed that and Matt got it and we just couldn't <laughs> find the thing. It was crazy. Like it went down and it took us forever to find it. It was so camouflage. Um, but yeah, you know, having that ability to watch the birds fly and to, and to understand in those, you know, short glimpses of time when they're flying, you know, it, you can track their, you can track them a little bit better, but, you know, chuckers seem to get a little bit more savvy as, as the season progresses and they Do stay they really? a lot lower. Yeah. They'll stay lower and they fly and they really hit, they really hug the contours. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, you get a lot of these juvenile birds that have never had pressure before. And so they fly, um, and they haven't really developed the, uh, the, uh, the awareness of the, of the hunter. And you see that change and adapt, uh, as the season progresses and as they become, as we say, more educated. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, shoot, man, we dove right in here talking wing shooting and stuff, which is cool because I'm I'm definitely getting excited for fall. But <laughs> I, I, I want to, I definitely want to, I want to, I want to dive in and and catch yeah. up on what you've been up to, man. Like sure. my whole point with saying that we talked two years ago, we, we've obviously been in touch since then. But tell me about we kind of talked about like the progression of podcasts and stuff and not that we're going to have two podcast hosts on here talking about podcasts all yeah, day, but tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit about up chucker and kind of like what you've been up to recently and, and uh, you know, what your, what your goals are with it right now at this point in time. Yeah. You know, really it's just been trying to refine it and get better uh, understanding editing, uh, you know, understand editing a lot better. Um, you know, and really just trying to produce, um, higher quality every time I record, you know, that really is my goal. It's really what I set out for. It's probably the thing that I, I, I perseverate on the most is just, you know, the audio quality and making sure that whoever's listening on the other end, doesn't matter if they are into chucker hunting or not, that they could listen to it or that they could start listening to it and go, well, not really my thing, but the quality is good. And I'll just, maybe I'll just, uh, I'll just, you know go down this road. I got an hour drive. Um, so that really is my, my real big focus is just putting out high quality content. Uh, you know, and, and I think the other thing too, is that, you know, for me, I didn't really realize where this would go. Uh, I don't know if you felt that way. Uh, I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but you know, when I started, it was, uh, I could tell you that when I, when I started, I would never have imagined I, I am where I am. You sure. know, um, yeah. it was never the intent to, to, to make it something humongous. It was really just to like to be, had to have a creative outlet, yes. um, to maybe, you know, to see, uh, if I could do it, it was more of a, like a personal challenge. Like, can I do this? You know, can I create something that is, as that is good quality and that people would want to listen to? Uh, and then you start realizing that people like it and they listen to it other yeah. than my mom or my wife or something, <laughs> yep. Yep. you know, and you're like, wow, that's, that's really cool. And, you know, the biggest thing is just to remember that this is, even though I created it, it's not really mine. You know, this is, this is the, the communities, uh, it's their voice. It's, it's their people. It's my people, their people. Um, it, it's really the stories that make up the, the, the trucker hunting community. Uh, and that's probably been the most fun is seeking out, people who have really fun stories to tell who are maybe people who, you know, have been doing it for 50 years and just, you know, they have such a ton of knowledge that both people like myself that have been doing it a long time and people who are new can learn something from. Yep. Uh, and this, you know, and so 
I love, it's like a treasure hunt. I love finding people who maybe aren't even on social media that anybody would be aware of and bringing those stories to life in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bigger setting. You know, stories live in people's, people's families, you know, yep. amongst their relatives, amongst their friends, but, um, there's just so much knowledge and value and, and just connection with these stories. And I think that's one of the most uh, rewarding things is to have somebody on and then to have somebody respond and say, gosh, I, I could, I totally, I, I, I had that same experience or I know what they're talking about. And you're like, yeah, you know, cause I can too. And I don't know. I get so excited about talking about, chucker hunting um yeah. i'm you know it's it is something that that just excites me and i think that that's the most fun about this whole thing is i think it's an infectious thing most people most chucker hunters feel the same way it's just this it's exciting to talk about in the off season and then during the season and really anytime anybody is uh is uh we've cornered somebody and they'll just listen to us you know tell us yeah. tell a yeah. chucker hunting story <laughs> so, it, you know, for me to, to not, I, I'm so tangential, I apologize, but, you know, for me over the last year, two years, it's really just been finding these just really great stories, highlighting, you know, new gear that's coming out yeah. and, and really just trying to provide a, a, a good quality piece of content for people to enjoy. Yeah. I like that. That's great. I, I think there's a lot of parallels that we're going off in my head. Like I think when I started this, I had some of those, I don't know how much I've really thought about it, but I had some of that same, like I was a creative outlet for me and was almost like trying to prove to myself, like, can I do this? And I think that's probably even evident, you know, if you kind of listen to it, but then like you said, all of a sudden you realize people are listening and you're getting feedback from listeners and you're, you're actually making people happy. You're providing value. And then it's like, man, like you gotta now, like I think about my audience a lot more, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm having a ton of fun. I love sitting here talking to you about this, but you know, we're both thinking about the audience, thinking about the people that are listening and what kind of value can we provide to them. And yeah. And then the whole just capturing stories and stuff. That's, that's great stuff. Well, kind of like we talked about in the first like 30 minutes of this episode, you right. know, Keith Coyle, <laughs> you've got this historical archive of information mm -hmm. and of people, you know, and they'll always live there. And I don't know. I think it's cool. I, I just think even when I was, you know, on your podcast two years ago, I just still think it's flipping cool, man. Like going back and going, cool. Somebody thought I was interesting enough to interview me, you know, <laughs> Lord knows. And <laughs> I think that's a cool, I think that's a cool aspect too, yeah. you know, so that my family sees that my, my kids see that and they think it's cool. And then, you know, mentioning the kids, it's, it's also fun for me to show my girls that it doesn't, you know, and I don't want to sound over dramatic, but you know, just because you have a family and a career doesn't mean you can't follow your dreams. Doesn't mean you can't, um, try something new and, and do that, you know, and I think that for me, it's showing my kids that if you want to do something, just do it. Don't allow maybe perceived obstacles to, mm -hmm. to really dictate that. Um, you know, my wife is so supportive. 
of of this. I mean, she's very tolerant of, you know, me being in front of the computer editing or and I think that she understands that it's it's something that really just fills my spirit and just being able to have this creative outlet and and I want my kids to see that. I want my kids to see that it doesn't matter what your age, doesn't matter what your interest is. If you have something that you really are passionate about, just go for it. it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in your life and to show them that creativity is important from the time that you're in school all the way through to the end of your life because that's the stuff. I mean, we, you know, jobs are jobs, careers are careers, and a lot mm-hmm. of the times they're, you know, they're things that that really help support your lifestyle, and and so you have to have another component of your life to make it holistic, and so. Uh, you know, that's, that is another driving force. My kids have been on my podcast. They've helped me do intros, you know, and, and, you know, so not only taking them hunting with me, but them being part of this creative process. And then sometimes I'll just let them set the podcast equipment up and they just talk about whatever kids stuff talks, but you know, whatever they want to talk about. And so they have (laughs) this opportunity to create their own little creative space. Not that we publish it or anything, but it just, it gives them opportunities to see things. And, um, and to see what they're capable of and, and, you know, so that's another rewarding aspect of this is to show them that there's something I 100% guarantee you my kids are not going to go, I'm going to be the, the legacy of the Upchucker podcast to be the next <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you that's not going to happen. You got your succession plan yeah, in place. I, doubt, <laughs> I highly doubt that. But, you know, it just, it's, it sets an example for your kids, right? You want to be a good example for your kids. You want to show them, um, the possibilities of life if you just want to work hard enough. And, and have integrity and, and do it for the right reasons. And, and I think that that's what this has been able to, to show them is that, you know, it is possible even when you're like a knuckle dragger like me. <laughs> Man, I would, I would echo much of that completely. I, I definitely appreciate your sentiment on that. That's, that is really cool stuff. We should probably mention that the Upchugger podcast is now part of Project Upland Listen, which, yeah. um, you know, all that really means is you're, uh, you're kind of under the umbrella as you're, you're part of the, I guess, officially part of the community, but that's, you know, that's not really the way we look at it anyways. Everybody that all the listeners, followers, people in the Upland space are part of the community, but Upchucker can now be found on the Project Upland website and we're kind of all working together to cover our separate little niches if you will and have fun doing it you want to talk about that a little bit yeah well you know and i think that for me it's way more fun to do things when there's people to share it with yeah you know it's you can't high five anybody when you're by yourself i mean it's it's just sort of it's not fun and I really share in the, uh, the ideals that, that AJ has, you know, his real motivation behind Project Upland is to create a community, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll never see AJ be out in front saying, you know, this is me and I am this. Um, you know, yeah. for him, it's, it's all about building a community. And, and that's really been what the Upchecker podcast has been about is creating a, a community of people, a community of interest. And so it just made, it made simple sense, you know, to come on board and to provide an opportunity to, to bring the concept and the, and the idea of chucker hunting to a, a broader audience. You know, not, that's the cool thing is that nothing's changed. Um, there's zero creative. I mean, I still maintain 100% creative control and direction yeah. over the podcast. So, you know, that was a, a majorly important concept to me was, 
You know, this is, you know, I listen to the chucker hunters and the community that listens to the podcast already. And that dictates the direction in which it goes. Because like I said, this is, I'm just the guy who created it, but this is not really mine. Um, This is what people want to hear and what they want to listen to and who they're interested in listening to and, and understanding the heartbeat of that community. And so, you know, when the, you know, so when AJ and I started talking about the idea and he, you know, we really got into the meat and potatoes of, you know, what project Upland was about and the vision and the mission and the future of what you guys are doing. Uh, it just made simple sense. It, it was for, for a creative side. Um, like I said, I'm very limited on my, on my technical savvy. And so <laughs> having, having people who understand, you know, how to create better, better content, how to create better quality of content. That's, that's a really important thing because like I said, I've been trying, that's my main, my main goal is to, is to make it better every single episode. Um, and having people to bounce ideas off of is probably the most valuable aspect of this relationship because, you know, again, I don't know everything and YouTube doesn't have all the answers. Yeah. And, and so having a, having people to share it with is just fun. Having people to bounce ideas off of is fun. And I think ultimately it just translates to a better product. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. And uh, we could go on and on, but uh, for yeah. the sake nobody of wants to, we'll, nobody wants to hear yeah. about this shit. They're yeah. like, they're, <laughs> Enough talking about yeah, podcasts, like, but we'll transition. It's 45 minutes in and it's just podcast shit. <laughs> hey, we talked about wing shooting a little bit. Too. It's true. It's true. Uh, I'm going to use that as my segue because I'm curious about your, your journey as a chucker hunter. And like, I know from talking to you on Monday and obviously the beginning of our conversation today, you're thinking about wing shooting and you're thinking about going to the sporting clays range and thinking about those things. But there are many other aspects to chucker hunting. You obviously have bird dogs and that sort of thing. Are you, are there any other things that are top of mind for you? Like you know, the off season is kind of a unique time where it's like, you have this time to reflect and think about how you got hope for the following season. Like what else are you thinking about as far as you, Travis Warren as a chucker hunter? Uh, well, I'll tell you this right now that at the end of the season, since that, since the end of the season, I've dropped 20 pounds. Damn so, man. Yeah. Congrats. So, yeah. I was, uh, I was, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot two and yeah. you know, I was walking around at 220 pounds last year and I was dragging myself up and you know, you just get good at it. I mean, I'm, it's not like I don't carry it well, but I will tell you right now that I could feel it. You know, yeah. I, I could just feel it. It was just a lot more weight than I was used to. Um, and I was lifting heavy and, you know, and I was, <clears throat> I wasn't running as much. I mean, the cardio was really just what chucker hunting was. <clears throat> so yeah. I wasn't, so I was still in shape and fit, but it was just, it was too much weight. And so, you know, when, when the end of the season rolled around, my big thing was, you know, I got to drop weight. I got to, it's way easier to it's way easier to cover ground when you weigh a lot less. And so that was my big thing is just, you know, starting to eat clean. You know, unfortunately I stopped drinking for like two months, you know, which was, which (laughs) is boring. I was watching your like Hunter's happy hour and I was like, oh man, (laughs) you son of a bitches, you know, but uh, you know, you sort of just make those short term sacrifices to kind of get yourself uh, in a better place. Uh, Obviously I am not uh, teetotaling anymore. Um, and, uh, but you know, but when you get to that, when you, when you get to where your goal is, uh, you can start implementing those luxury items back into your life yeah. and it's not yeah. as big of an impact. So yeah, you know, really for me, it's just, it's being healthy and, and making sure that 
in the off season, I'm doing the things that I need to do to be better in the mountains, to be safer. Cause that's another aspect too, is that, mm-hmm. you know, the bigger you are, the less, I think the less agile you can be. Um, and, and, you know, losing that weight for me has really made me a lot faster. It's made my, my reactions a lot faster. And, you know, chucker hunting is just a place where a lot of dangerous things can happen if you just let yourself lapse. So I'm very cognizant of that and I want to be able to cover more ground. I want to be able to do it more safely. Uh, and I want to, uh, I want, I don't want to be the anchor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's an important part of hunting for sure. I will, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm, uh, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be in, in the best shape you can be when the season starts. I mean, you, we always kind of have this, like, I guess it's like an arc for me where you get in shape during the season. Cause you're, you're doing a lot of physical exertion and you're having so much fun doing it. It's easy, but where's your starting point, you know, and we've all heard the, the, those math experiments where, you know, one pound, 10,000 steps a day, carry 10,000 extra pounds across the chucker Hills. I mean, that's unreal. You've lost 20 pounds. You know, what's like, what's that? Mm-hmm. So are you, are you at your goal right now? <clears throat> yeah. So I, okay. well, you know, so I, I fluctuate within five pounds of it yeah. and yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I will tell you that like at being at 200 pounds, uh, was very much difficult to maintain that low caloric intake and to feel mm-hmm. like you weren't ready to strangle people. Um, <laughs> so I've, you know, I've, I've oscillate between 205 and, and like 202, yeah. uh, which is way healthier. I can kind of live a more normal lifestyle and people want to be around me again. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that that's the big thing is just the balance. And, you know, the other aspect is just increasing, uh, it's just increasing my cardio and working, you know, I found a spot where, you know, I can take the dogs and we can do three, four miles and we can just run them and get them exhausted. And, and I'm getting my steps in, I'm getting my cardio in, um, in the hiking legs. And it's not a matter of like just running on flat because running on flat is great because it does build your cardiovascular system. But for me, it's really getting that eleva- elevation and working, you know, those quads and those hamstrings and all those other yep. connective tissues. And in order to maintain stability in your ankles and in your knees and, and in your core as you, as you hike, because that's a, that's a huge component of when you're in chucker countries, you don't really realize the amount of core strength and core stability yeah. that you need. Um, because that's ultimately sometimes what's keeping you from really injuring yourself. Yeah. Do you, you've done a couple, at least a couple episodes on like physical mm-hmm. conditioning and training on the up Chucker podcast. And I know that that tends to go, I would say a little bit more hand in hand with some of the Western hunters, just given the terrain, I think it, that gets overlooked a touch. If you're talking grouse woods and stuff, obviously it's no less important, but what's, do you have a weight training regimen? Like what are you doing as far as that goes? Yeah. I mean, not to bore the shit out of people with podcast talk (laughs) and exercise talk, but yeah, you know, my biggest thing, your biggest piece of weight training is going to be your fork. And so I'm pretty much, I try and I gotcha. I try and do, I try and do one pound of pro, you know, one, uh, one gram of protein per pound. So I try and eat and it doesn't always achieve it just because my, my, now that it gets hot, I don't get hungry all the time, but that's a big component for me. Um, and and really the, the, the weight training is full body. It's not, 
you know, pretty muscles don't make a difference in the, in the Chucker Hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really being, having a, 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 an overall strength in your body. So it's a lot of high tempo cardio. So one of the things I really like to do, and this sounds slightly strange, but there's, if you're familiar in the gym or you can even buy them, there's these things called BOSU balls. Yeah. And there's a half BOSU. So it's, yeah. it's, it's they got the plastic bottom on it. So I flip that over. And it I used to be like a toy. Like, do you remember, like, when we were younger, there was like a the, the hot was like a, thing. It's like the, yeah. the hop and pop or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Could hold that ball between your feet. Yes. And you're standing yeah. on the ring, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a torture device. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I so I use that a lot uh, every time I go in the gym. So I work out three to four times traditionally in the gym. Um, at, you know, so in in a gym setting. And so what I do is I'll flip that ball over, flip the Bosu ball so it's on the, the blue bottom portion and so it's unstable and I'll stand on it. And I will then take a 20-pound medicine ball and I will do wall ball shots with it. So I'll squat down. And the big thing is not to do it fast but to do it controlled, right? Mm-hmm. So you're working all of your stability muscles, you know, your, your core, your core, your ankles, your knees as you squat and then you're exploding up. And you're throwing that ball as high as you can and then catching it controlled and coming back into that squat. And so it really starts to work your central nervous system because everything has to work. Uh, and then obviously the, the penalty is you fall off the ball. And so that stuff for me is probably one of the more key components of my workout routine is utilizing yeah. that BOSU style ball for wall ball shots. I'll use it to do kettlebell squats as well. I'll do push-ups on it so that my core is more engaged. Um, and, and then, you know, the cardio aspect is I, I love to, I love to do the rowing machine, you know, the concept two rowing machine. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I do that. Cause again, it's a full body workout. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of compound movements, you know, um, yes, of course I'll do bicep curls, you know, of course. Right. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's a lot of compound movements. A lot of, if you're going to do something like that, it's more of like an Arnold press. So you do the bicep curls and then you're trans and then you, you're rotating your wrists and then you're going into a shoulder press. So yeah. it's really creating. And then if I do those, if when I do those, I'll actually stand on one foot. So I'll actually take one of my feet off the ground, uh, in order to engage my central nervous system a little bit more and my core as well and do those yep. controlled. So it's not about weight. It's more about just maintaining control. And I just, for me, it just, it makes a, it's just a better program. It, it really helps a lot, uh, in terms of how that, tra- it's very translatable into, into yeah. what I do in chucker hunting or, you know, big game hunting or whatever. Yeah, the stronger your core, the more stabilization you have. You know you're going to lose your footing in the mm-hmm. uplands. You're going to lose yeah. your footing, and the the better your nervous system is and your core stabilization, you know you're going to be much better off, and hopefully not eat dirt as many times as you normally would. You yeah, know? yeah, you know. And then one of the things that I do, you know, uh, so I've been, you know, jujitsu has been a huge part of my life for for a long time. Okay, you know, cool. and so. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Gracie Jiu Jitsu brown belt. So it's something that uh, it's just been a huge part of my life. And that core strength that incorporates that in the movement of your hip girdle, you know, you've got to stay agile or you're going to get injured, which it happens anyways. But, you know, that's been a, that was, that form of cardio has probably been the most translatable thing into the uplands because it doesn't matter as long as I do it. I've always got a base level of cardio. Yeah. Do you think you could take Ron Bain? 
I don't know. I mean, he's probably pretty. Uh, he's pro- he's probably pretty wily. Yeah, I bet he is. I've never seen I've never seen him roll, but I know I couldn't take him because I've never I've never performed any jujitsu in my life, so I'd be lost out there. We'll have we'll we'll have to uh, do that pay per view match. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> how was your How was your trucker season last year? It was good. Yeah. I mean, I hunt two or three days a week. So. How do how do trucker hunters measure their season? Do you guys talk about bird numbers, birds you move? I mean, naturally, obviously, everybody does that to a certain extent. But are there any gauges or metrics that you guys talk about to guys and girls, I should say, to kind of gauge the season, birds, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think it always boils down to bird numbers, right? Whether yeah. whether it's seen or bagged, you know, it's always down to to birds. Sure. Um, you know that that sort of equates back to, you know, what the hatch was like, what you know, mm-hmm. what what imp, what kind of weather impacted after the hatch, um, what fire has done. Uh, fire is a huge uh, thing we live with here uh, in Nevada. Is you know raging well, raging uh, grass fires. Um, so all those things, I mean, I, I'm already tracking that stuff, uh, paying attention to it. I mean, right after, right around the, the end of the hatch, you know, we had a freeze come in and we had hail and some snow. And so all those things are things that you go, Ugh, you know, how is that going to play in? You're looking ahead forecasting now. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you, so you're paying attention to, to where this, you know, if there's still snowpack in the high country, you know, cause that's going to make it a lot easier for birds is if there's that that available water through the hot portions of the month okay so those are things you're sort of paying attention to um and so you know the season in and of itself i think was a really good season i mean as we if you just want to talk in terms of how many birds we saw uh we saw we saw quite a few birds and uh it it was fun I will tell you, one of the things that was probably most rewarding about that is I was able to uh, host some people who have never hunted chucker before and help them get their first birds. So cool. I think if you if you look at it in terms of you know where I place the value on the season, the value was really getting people you know their first birds and just spending time with new friends that I've made. Awesome. Do you keep any sort of journal or log of your hunts or anything, or is it, no. is the podcast your hunting journal? Yeah, no, man, I don't, it doesn't matter. Usually it's the photographs that I take, you know, that's yeah. sort of my journal. Um, I know you guys do it, you know, I know Darrell does it and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, I don't necessarily envy that. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I just, I, I honestly don't care enough to write. Uh, that stuff down. Uh, I usually yep. keep track of what I see through Onyx. So if okay. I run across cool. a cubby, you know, I'll drop a pin and I'll just kind of give a recollection of how many birds I saw. So hopefully nobody steals my phone. So, <laughs> but yeah, I just, Onyx is probably the, yeah, Onyx is probably the only place that I really keep track of it. Um, I feel like my memory is still pretty good. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, for you guys, when you sit there and you're, and you write it down, like, what do you do that for? Like, ultimately with all the technology we have, like, what's the value of writing it down? So that's a good question. And I was going to tell you, like, we were talking about creativity later or earlier, I should say. And 
I don't know about you, but I feel like I have, there's a limit to how creative I can be. And, and the podcast is a big chunk of my creativity outlet sort of thing. So I'm, I'm into systems. So the last couple of years I've developed a system to record some of my metrics for grouse hunting and it, it's made it really easy. I mm. track, I do a GPS track when I'm hunting and I've not got it now where I can, I mark when I flush a grouse, which is grouse, I think is just totally different than like when you go out and hunt sharp tails, like you flush a covey of sharp tails, like I'm not going to mark 10 flushes, you know, like I track flushes in the rough grouse woods and that's it. Mm. But so I do it all kind of digitally and I don't, I haven't done a whole, I take pictures like you, but I haven't done a whole lot of writing recently. And I guess that's where I was going with like my, my creative outlet. But just in the last couple of weeks, what I've been trying to do is now I go back because I have a daily entry of, I know where I was. I know how many birds I flush. I know how many birds I shot at, killed, all that sort of thing. So now in the off season, when I have a little bit more time, I'm trying to go back and I'm trying to write something down from what I remember from that day. Mm. Just r- recall it and write it down. And what's happened is the first couple of days, like uh, my opening day, I wrote like three pages. <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, I was, I was recalling all these details and vividly and I enjoyed doing that, but it took me a while and yeah. it's going to take me a while to get through the whole season. But, but then I found a couple of days into my log, there was some days that just were not as memorable. So it's a, it's a paragraph, you mm-hmm. know? And so I guess I'm experimenting with that. I okay. don't have like, I'm not the kind of person I don't write down in a journal every single night. But what I'm finding is that tracking this basic info that I can do on the go with the use of a GPS watch and on X and everything, I have that basic info Then I can sit down when I'm at home and, recall what I remember, write that down. You asked me why I'm doing it. Mm. I don't really know other than it does it. I get a good feeling when I go back and relive this day, you know, I'm reliving this day that my dog and I had out in the woods. And then I also, I also feel good about, Hey, now I, now I wrote this down. I captured this. So one, two, three, four, five years from now, I can come back and re- will I ever? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I might. I've done yeah. this. I've t- I've write something down and I tuck it away and I never look at it. But hey, it's there. And the more you, the more you use it, the better you get. You know. So using your your writing and I I want to do some more writing because I I do get enjoyment out of it. But I have this I have major like resistance around <laughs> writing and like I just yeah. resist even putting fingers to keys or pen to paper that sort of thing but i don't know i don't know why i do it travis <laughs> <laughs> i not do i just really i'm asked become curious like i right it never even occurred to me to write anything down um like i said you know, for me for writing i it's not necessarily about recounting like bird numbers it's more i like to affectionately write what i call toilet reading Right. So I like to write something that is short enough that you could read when you're on the toilet and that it has humor mixed with something, some form of education. Um, And so generally, a lot of it is pointing fun at myself, which is really an easy target. Um, And then something that I learned. Uh, And so that's that that for me is kind of how I focus my writing. So when I get into like if I have to write something really technical, it's like, God, I'm just so unmotivated to write it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and so, like, yeah, just writing it down, like, I, you know, like, I don't even, 
I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't even, it's not saying something, it's not something that really ever occurred to me. Um, cause I think because I utilize Onyx so much, uh, to record all that stuff. And so I, it, it's almost for me very much the same thing where I can go back and I can look at it and go, okay, I remember that was a good spot. You can piece um, it together. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, there's that ability to share too with Onyx. Uh, and this is really not yep. just like, this is not like, they're not paying us to say this. I honestly well, use. They're paying me. <laughs> <laughs> Not you know, me directly, but th- this podcast is presented by Onyx, so there's no apology necessary. All right, this. fair enough, fair enough, man. But you know, for me, it's fun because then that is also a way that you can communicate and share with people, or you know, with your friends, like your really good friends. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, yep. You know, sharing spots and um, you know, even like a buddy. Like I even was thinking about going turkey hunting in California this year. Cause I pulled a California license. And so my buddy sent me a, an Onyx pin drop for a spot and it never made it happen. Cause it was in the midst of COVID, but you know, just having that ability to like instantly communicate with people and, and share information rather than going, I got to go. It's always with you, I guess is probably more or less the way to do it. So when it comes up in a conversation and you feel so inclined to share some information, you can just drop them a pin. Yep. Yeah, I've got, I have those same interactions, you know, with my grouse hunting friends. There's, you know, pins get, pins get dropped and I've got a buddy that he's a forester. And so he'll be out in the woods one day and this looks awesome, you know, and he'll drop a pin. And then my mind starts going, Oh man, you know, he's out there. And yeah, that's obviously that is a tool that makes communication between hunters real easy and it's visual and everything but yeah i'm i'm with you man and you're not you're not alone as far as like a lot of people just want to go hunting they want that to be their escape Mm -hmm. they don't want any noise and i 100 percent respect that for me i really enjoy tracking the numbers and the statistics in the grouse woods and i've talked about that and it's just i kind of want to have i want to have a firm recollection of what i actually experience i don't want to be 10 years down the road and think man, those used to be the good old days. If they were, my numbers will tell me that, sure. but I don't want to have like a clouded memory surrounding that just because <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a common thing that I run into, but, um, that's me. And that's not, that's weren't not you, weren't else. you an accountant or something like that? Yeah. I've, See, I'm, you have tra- that, I'm trained you, in finance. You have that brain buddy. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you're very analytical and, yes. and so you do, you like the visual recognition of all that stuff. I am. And, and I think that that, you can't overlook that as a personality trait. You know, that's just the way your brain is yeah. wired. Uh, mine is more ADD. And so like sitting still, especially <laughs> after like a pot of coffee right now is just like, <laughs> I'm more animated as I talk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So we talked about that. I've got a whole list of this stuff. Who knows if we're even going to get to it all, man. But since we talked two years ago, you got another dog. Mm-hmm. That's one oh, thing yeah. that I really wanted to talk to you about. So you talked all about Hazel on our first episode, and that was your first German short hair. Now you got another one. Yeah, so that was kind of an interesting way. You know, it's just it wasn't. It was kind of planned. Okay. Uh, the long and short of that was. Are you saying you have an oops puppy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Uh, you know, I was, I wanted to get a second dog. I saw the value of having double the horsepower or the dog power. Um, and so I started kind of, I started looking one of the things, one of the dogs that we'd been exposed to was Cedar, which is, uh, Matt's wire hair. And my wife absolutely fell in love with him. And she just, I mean, he's such a sweet dog and he's a really, really skilled and very, very good hunter. Um, Excuse me. And so 
I don't know how it works in your house, Nick, but in my house, like the boss has the final say in what happens. And so she, (laughs) she, you know, so when I was, when I brought the idea up, she had settled on the idea of like a wire hair and I had been on a list. I I was dabbling with, and I had been on a list uh, with Britt Forrester to get a setter. Uh, Matt Rollinson uh, has a ton of his dogs. Um, and he, his stuff, his dogs come from the Tacoma Mountain Sunrise bloodline. Okay. Is he a, is he a Western guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's just okay. up the road, uh, outside okay. of Susanville up here in California. He's just a fantastic guy and, uh, does really, really fantastic chucker dog breedings. I mean, that's how he breeds is for a chucker dog. And that was really my goal. Like when I, so if you go back and listen to the original, the, the first one we did, like, I, I didn't really know a lot about dogs, um, and understand a lot of the concepts. And so, I knew that when I got a second dog, it was really going to be a dog that was bred to be a chucker dog. Like that yep. was probably like my biggest, my biggest thing was I want a chuck, a dog that is at, that was bred for chucker hunting. Yeah. And so, uh, that's why I actually, you know, Brit does, he, he, he hunts chucker a lot. He's a, he's a, he's a stone cold killer and he it just has some great breedings. And so I had done a, I, I was on a list. Uh, and then my grandma passed away and we inherited her, uh, 10 year old blind diabetic insulin dependent Maltese. And so, <laughs> yeah, I swear to God. And, um, so that kind of, it kind of, uh, uh, you know, scuttled the idea of getting a second dog. Okay. Uh, I just, I'm like a two dog max guy, like a, anything more like we're a busy house. I got two young kids. My daughter's 11 and nine and, so, you know, we, we were always on the move. And so I just, you know, two dogs was really all I really felt was appropriate to sort of man, maintain and manage. So I said, now, nah, you know, we'll just hold off and we'll just take care of this dude. And, you know, when, when, when he's not around anymore, then we can look at getting another dog. Uh, and of course the worst influences on your life are the ones that are closest to you. And so Matt came back from visiting the breeder. Uh, from Cedar and she's like, he's like, dude, there's this dog, this puppy she's got. And he looks, she looks so good. And I was with her and she ran off and pointed a dead chucker on her own. She couldn't even care about what the other puppies were doing. And I was like, God, don't tell me that dude. Like, (laughs) don't tell me that. And he's like, yeah, she's, she's a short coat. So it's, she's, you know, she's going to be perfect for chucker hunting and her, his breeder, you know, she's a chucker hunter and, and breeds just fantastic dogs. I was like, dude, you son of a bitch. And so he starts, he starts sending me videos and sends me pictures. And I was like, oh my. And of course, you know, you show your, you show pictures to your wife of a puppy and it's just, you know, it's, they, they, oh, it's just, it's, I was like, oh my gosh. So I called her and I, I called the breeder and I talked to her and she was sending me videos of, you know, of Harper retrieving and, and Harper, you know, pointing and it just, she was just everything that I was looking for. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, uh, and I hummed and hawed about it. I was like, ah, dude, this is just, I don't, is this a good idea? Uh, and then ultimately my wife said, you know, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You can't burn bridges with people. So if you're going to, if yeah. you want this dog, you better get it. And so I said, okay, I'll just do it. And we, my girls and I drove up to Oregon and, uh, and picked this puppy up. It's this goofy looking doll with like long, like houndy. I mean, she was just gangly <laughs> and, uh, but she's just cutest and sweetest dog ever. Uh, and she turned, I mean, she has 
the the uh, everything's a lot there's no short stories with me everything's long um the story ultimately results in she is just the most phenomenal bird dog i've ever i've ever come across like we we were hunting at six months you know like she she the way the breeder does it is that she actually plays a cd of of gunfire and it progressively gets louder and louder as they get older and older so they're just used to it and mm-hmm. so she was just she didn't couldn't care less like i started getting around pigeons out with the you know the german short hair pointer club here in in reno uh, and yeah. she was just lights out i mean she was like four or five months she's pointing birds at like you know 30 feet away you know i mean there yeah actually more than that um she would hit the scent cone and just stop and i'm like holy crap like this is phenomenal she was steady i mean i was she was beyond point and i'd able and i started doing things where i'd walk around in front of her and she'd just stay steady and i'm like oh my gosh this is what great breeding looks like and then you know we i started introducing her to uh to city grouse hunting up in tahoe um because it just so happened, like I got Hazel Spade right at the beginning of, right before the season started, the chucker season started. So that was right in the middle of grass season. And oh, just hold on. Yep. Sorry, they were protecting the backyard from uh, no problems. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I took her out. I, you know, I took her out city grass hunting, and oh, I was fantastic. So we, I ended up flushing a bird. I flushed a, um, I, I, I flushed a bird out of an area. You know, it's just one of those things where you're like, yeah, I'm never going to find a bird. And then all of a sudden you just run across the Shangri-La in the mountain and all of a sudden this bird flushes. And it was a, literally a snapshot for me because the bird was almost in, like behind a tree and I yep. just pulled up, pulled the trigger, didn't think I hit it, but I could hear it then, then as a second passed by, all of a sudden it's like you could hear some flapping. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And at six months, she, she runs out, picks the bird up and retrieves it right back to hand. You know, she didn't point it. That's fine. I mean, six months, sure. but she, without it, without any indication from me, she runs, she obviously marked that bird, ran, picked it up and brought it right back, dropped it at my feet. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like that was fantastic. And you know, and then, uh, and then everything started sucking. Um, <laughs> it did. I'll be honest with you. It was, uh, you know, Hazel came out of her, she, she recovered. And so we started going out and chucker season started. So we started, or sorry, sage grass season was open. And what I started seeing was this competitive behavior between my older dog and the puppy, because Hazel really still hadn't adjusted to this puppy being around. Sure. And, uh, and so what I saw was this competitive behavior. And so Hazel stopped pointing and started just just plowing through birds. birds and yeah. you know the puppy you know the puppy she, she does that i mean when we were in training hazel would point and the the puppy would just back her honor naturally and i've never yep. seen that hazel won't do that for another dog and it's been something i've been really working this off season with her on um and but then she, yeah, she just started ripping birds and it was just like, what is going on? Like, this is just horrible. And, and this is not what I envisioned. This is like, this is nightmare come true. Cause you know, like if they're not working together, like what's the point? The dog puppy's yeah. not getting any opportunities. And so I, I separated them. I had to separate them. I talked to the breeder. I talked to Ryan Mulcahy. Um, I got some, I talked to Maddie Rawlinson, you know, I got some insight from people that I trust 
And they said, yeah, you're just going to have to separate them, man. You're just going to have to work them individually. And then you're, you can bring them back together and, uh, and just, and then just see, kind of see how they do. So that's what I had to do for most of the season. Um, and, and it was actually very, very beneficial. Uh, very beneficial because the puppy, I remember when she pointed her first bird. Oh my good lord. It was just like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> I was, I, it was awesome. I mean, the day in and of itself was just like such a long slog of a day. We didn't see any birds and then finally we like make it to the top of Mount Everest and over the backside and finally we find some birds and, uh, and then you saw that there was a road that we could have walked up. Um, <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. And, and yeah, so once, and, and that was really the day that the lights turned on because after that it was just, that was a clinic, man. She did so well. Uh, Matt was doing a little bit of guiding, so he would actually take her and use her for like mountain quail and stuff like that. No way. Yeah. Uh, she's, wow. and she did, I mean, she was just fantastic. I mean, really, really just a fantastic bird dog and really has developed. I'm really excited about this second season. And then, you know, and so then I was able to bring the dogs back together towards the end. And sure. then they started yeah. working together and it was really cool to see really, uh, it was just sort of like, Oh, finally, you know, like it's, it's happening, you know, like they, they're working together. Um, there's not this competitive thing. And, and, you know, I would see the, you see the relationship building between them because in the beginning for the first few months, like the puppy would want to lay on top of Hazel and she would growl at her and get her own, yeah. didn't want anything to do with her. And now they like, pancake each other you know they just lay on top of each other and they just they're they're bonded now and 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 that was one of the big things that i think really changed the dynamics of their relationship was that it was not about competition anymore um they both you know they both have hunt their own game and they're both a little bit different in how they they're you know just how they hunt um you know, Hazel's a lot more savvy on birds just because she's had more experience and Harper's just got a, just a lights out nose. Like her nose is just, it's ridiculous. So is Harper like what, 12 months right now? Yeah. She's well, she turned old. a year. She turned a year in March. Uh, actually she shares the same birthday as my oldest daughter, March 23rd. Huh, no way. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's a little serendipitous. You're like, ah, you know, all these, all the stars are aligning. Like, how can I not to get this dog? Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, you know, definitely that wasn't like what I thought it was going to be. Um, but it's become what I hoped it would be. That's cool. Yeah. And you just sort of have to get through those times and you just have to have good people around you that you can call and talk to and and bounce ideas off of. Yeah. I'm definitely excited. I'm going to be going through that. It'll be the first time that I've ever had two dogs in the house and I'm, I'm fully expecting there to be some, you know, some adjustment and some hurdles and stuff. And this, this season, my pup will be young. I will, uh, you know, they'll probably spend some time on the ground together, but I'll be trying to run the puppy short bursts as much as we can. That sort of thing. We'll see how it goes. It'll be my first time through it, but I'm certainly, certainly looking forward to it and can't wait to add another dog on the string. So what are you looking forward to this year? Are you, are you more excited about, I guess I don't know exactly how your hunts play out all the time. Are you more excited about running those two together or, like you said, having the extra dog power so you can be rotating dogs. Like, how are you looking at this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, so I'll run them side by side. Um, you know, I run them side by side just because that's why I got two dogs was to do that. Okay. Um, okay. So you want two dogs out there covering more ground at the same time? Correct. Okay. So that's my that's the goal is just to continue to just to really just to just to step off on the same foot that we stepped off on. You know, at the yep. end of the season. 
and just continue that. So, uh, you know, the, really the, uh, so we, we close on our new house, uh, July 2nd. I don't know when this will come out, but so that's everything right now is just all focused on that. So yeah. I have these trips planned, but I don't have hard dates on them yet. Um, uh, you know, I'll be visiting some different States this year, hunting, um, getting a, you know, sort of the flavor of uh, one thing I, I do want to do is a checker road trip. Uh, so I want to hit a couple different States and in, in one fell swoop, uh, meet up with some friends, new friends that I've, that I've made over the years, uh, and yep. get to see some different terrain. Um, you know, there's, uh, we were talking on the last podcast, uh, that I just posted, uh, about this flying chucker trip into a wilderness area, uh, into the Frank Church Wilderness in Idaho. So that's like the top of the priority list right now. So if anything, it's just making sure that the time is available for that. Uh, cause that's just basically taking chucker hunting and to another level. Um, you know, and really it's just a matter of just spending a lot of time out in the field. I, I for me, just chucker hunting is just very sacred. It's, it's a place that I go to, um, to just sort of gather thoughts, sort of, you know, write your keel a little bit and, and just, uh, sort of make sense of things that sometimes in the, in the midst of the chaos of life, uh, is really hard to analyze. And so, uh, you know, connect a lot when I'm out hunting. And that's why I, I think that's why I hunt a lot by myself. But I've also in start really to enjoy hunting with other people. Uh, but I still do hunt a lot by myself, a lot of solo stuff. And um, and I'll continue to do that because I do like those solitary moments. Before we drop that, that fly-in trip, I just tell me a little bit more about that just for for folks here so you're you're flying in i think you told me on monday you're you're bringing a dog you're going with some other folks and obviously you're limited to what you can fly in but what's kind of the what's the plan what's the goal with that trip well you know it'll be my first time um my buddy Derek allen who uh just was on my most recent episode of the upchucker podcast he did it last year and so he flew in with an with a buddy who's got a plane so i mean really it's you're, you're flying into remote, uh, backcountry airstrips and, you know, you basically, you know, you're, you're hunting remote birds. So you're flying into these deep canyons and you're literally camping right there on the, you know, like on the sandbar or on the, on the, on, you know, or just right there. You're, you're camping. It's, you know, you go in there with, a, with your tent and your, you know, freeze dried meals and stuff. And I'm, you, there's, there's definitely a wait for luxury items, but, um, you know, just conceptually from my understanding, you know, so we're, we're gonna, you know, we're chartering a, a plane to take us in there. And then we, he's got a couple buddies who have their own planes that will come in and then we'll be able to actually fly to different canyons each, you know, during the day and, and hunt different oh, wow. locations. Okay. That's awesome. I think so. I mean, it's like <laughs> the baddest, the badass stuff I've You'll find, you'll find do. out, I guess. Yeah. You're, yeah. Talk about taking chucker hunting to the next level. That's for sure. Well, and I think that that's the true essence of chucker hunters is that they're just adventure seekers. You know, I yeah. mean, that, there's a reason why you do it. And I think it's just because you're curious to see what's over the next hill because there's that, <clears throat> that possibility that it's El Dorado, you know, that it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. lost chucker hole of gold, you know, that, you know, not only are you running across chucker, but, you know, you're running across bighorn sheep, you're running across, um, you know, old signs of, of, of human inhabitants, uh, you know, you run across petroglyphs, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's just, that's the coolest thing. 
about it is that you're always greeted with something different. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you go out and different circumstances and sometimes they're going to, you know, it'll test you, you know, mentally and physically. And just sometimes you just get left in awe of nature. And that's one of the things that I just think is the most amazing. And, and, and I think really embodies the true essence of checker hunters. I think they just love adventure. They just love doing some hard stuff, but really they're adventure seekers. Yeah. I love that about, I guess it's probably not, you know, it's probably not like that with all forms of upland hunting. I certainly haven't done it, but a lot of upland hunting, anytime you're getting into big chunks of, you know, kind of remote places. Like, I mean, I have those feelings in the Northwoods where it's just that you're pursuing something, you're pursuing these birds, but that, that pursuit is the drive that pushes you, you know, into these places deeper and deeper and what's around the next corner. I mean, I love that. It's just, yeah, you never know what you're going to find. Absolutely. Places you would never even bother to look into if you didn't do it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, I was going to ask you this. Um, you know, the, the very cliche saying, you know, the first time you hunt chuckers, it's for fun. The second time it's revenge is, is that something that like, do, do hardcore chucker hunters hear that and just kind of roll their eyes? Is that just like a general public cliche? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the way, that's the way I feel about it. <laughs> It's fun to say, um, but I think if you really, if you really peel back the layers and talk to somebody who's a real devout chucker hunter, I think what you're overwhelmingly going to understand and receive as a, as a, as a saying is that, you know, the first time is for fun and then you respect the hell out of them every other yeah, time after yeah. that because, you know, that for me, it's never about revenge. And I don't really ever think it was ever about revenge. Uh, it's really just about you just respect these birds incredibly and, you know, just the, the conditions that they live in, the places that they live and their just desire to thrive and survive um, is is just is fantastic. And you know, the respect also comes from what they what they give you, even if you're successful or not, what they give you. I mean, it's inherent, right, that the that the, what they're giving you is is really this gift of living. You know, it's not just being alive, right? But it's actually living, like you're doing something that not everybody's doing that is adventurous, that is difficult, that is kind of challenging you in different lo- in different ways. And so you, you have to <clears throat> revere and respect that because it's, you, you're not getting that in other aspects of your life generally. That's why you probably chucker hunt, you know? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, there's probably yeah. a reason why people skydive, right? I mean yeah. – there's the concept of just falling out of a plane, right? But I, I would think people really do it because they feel alive. It makes them makes them feel like they're living, you know, yeah. not just alive, but they're just they're living. You know, they're doing stuff. They're 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 really they're trying to have these experiences that uh, that are shaping positively shaping their lives. And maybe throwing yourself out of a plane is not the greatest analogy, but. Um, but I, but I think, you know, it's, it's, you know, why would you, you know, you don't, you can't not respect something that gives you so much, you know, yeah. people talk about respecting Mount Everest, right? It's a, you know, it, it's not a living object, but people would argue that it is, that it has a soul, that they do it because it, you know, it, it gives them something, it adds to them, uh, to their life in, in a, in a way, and it's a challenge and they respect the mountain, because ultimately it's mother nature, right? And you got to respect mother nature or she'll clap down on your ass so quick. And that's, so for me, you know, it really is not about revenge. It's really about respect. 
I just respect what they what they add to my life and what they they give me. And you know, you don't you know maybe that's sort of slightly anthropomorphizing a, an animal, um, but I you know for me it's it's what they're doing for my life and how they're improving my life and and what they give me uh, spiritually and, and and both you know just just I don't know it's just I don't want to get too weird on it, but um, I just respect the hell out of them. I love that, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. This, this podcast went a lot of different ways that I had no idea that it was going to go, but I'm, I'm happy about it. I don't know that I could, I don't know that we could come up with a better ending than that. That was, uh, that was cool. I, and I, I mean, a lot of that stuff is resonating with me. I mean, a lot of what I do is it's, it's respect for the bird. It's a fascination with the bird, the places that they live, the places that they take me, man. Just like the way you said it, you know, you go places where you probably would otherwise not go. And that's, in today's world, I think at least me and you, we crave that that stuff because it's not something that's necessarily a part of your daily life unless you make it that way. Absolutely, man. Well, Travis, this has been a blast. It, it will not uh, definitely not be the last time that you and I talk. This was a ton of fun. I hope folks enjoyed it. Your second appearance on the Project Upland podcast. It was great catching up with you, man, and uh, appreciate it. Remind folks where to go, where they can check out UpTrucker and all that good stuff. Sure, yeah. If you're curious, uh, if I haven't totally turned you off to what <laughs> I do, uh, you can go to so UpTrucker. Uh, UpTrucker.com is the blog site, so you can you can listen to the podcast episodes. You can read some of the little, you know, like I say, toilet reading that I write. Um, see some <laughs> photographs, stuff like that. You can see the Himalayan snowcock film that we did with Project Upland two years ago. It's still probably the thing that just, just love watching that over and over again. And then, you know, obviously Upchucker podcast can be found on the Project Upland platform under listen. Uh, you can also be found on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Castbox FM. Who knows? Everywhere. Uh, all over the place. All over the place. Yeah. So you can, you can find it. And then, you know, if, uh, if you're, if you want more information, if you just want to chat, one of my biggest things that I've always said from the very beginning is if anybody reaches out to me, it is, I will get back to you as soon as humanly possible because, you know, I hate getting ghosted. And so I don't, I, I will not do that to my, to, to anybody who listens or reaches out. Uh, so you can reach me at upchuckerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send me an email and, um, start some dialogue and, and, uh, you know, I just love, I just love interacting with people. That's the coolest thing about this whole thing is just the friends, the, the relationships that I've built and made. And it's just, it's more rewarding than I can probably put into words. Good deal, man. Well, I absolutely, yeah. Uh, thank you for your time today. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Wish you the best of luck this upcoming hunting season. And, uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you, buddy. And I'm going to send you this I love Nick Larson sign that I've got. Oh hung my up gosh. I can't <laughs> wait. I'm going to put that up. Well, it might look weird if I put it up behind me, but I'm definitely going to keep that uh, close near like and dear. Having, it's like having a picture of you behind you <laughs> yeah. and then you're in front. Awesome. Exactly. Yeah. All right, buddy. All right, buddy. Yep. Thank you so much. See ya. Later. All right, that does it for this episode of the Project Up and Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. A quick reminder that the podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast for your chance to win the Project Upland Podcast giveaway. And head over to projectupland.com for more of the Upland birds, dogs, guns, and gear that you love. Until we see you back here for the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.